Okay, well, it's a privilege to be here with you. Let me read from verse 34, uh, John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us your word and that we are here together to celebrate Monday Thursday. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word and soften our hearts, that we may learn more of you, Father, and that our love for you may deepen. And all this I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so, we read together John 13, and he uses, Jesus uses the word new commandment. And when you hear the word new commandment, does it sound an alarm in your mind? New commandment. Why does Jesus use the word new? When we open our physical Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament is clearly separated in our physical Bible. And so, and the New Testament writers, they're very clear in their language. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Hebrews uses the word obsolete. Galatians uses no longer under tutor. So there's a clear discontinuity from Old Testament to New Testament. And so what does that mean for us? Is Old Testament now completely irrelevant in our lives? We don't learn, we learn nothing from it anymore? Well, that has been always a challenge to see where the clear discontinuity is and clear continuity from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And here Jesus uses the word new. And so, what does Jesus teach from the Old Testament? He says, love one another. Is this concept a completely new concept that Jesus is now bringing in John chapter 13? He says in Old Testament, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And so this is how Jesus summarizes the Old Testament when he was challenged by the scribes. Which one's the greatest commandment? And this is how Jesus summarizes the Ten Commandments that was given through Moses to the people of Israel. Those can be basically broken down to love God and love your neighbor. And it wasn't only when Israelites received the Ten Commandments that they started not killing each other, where they stopped worshiping other gods. That was expected of them even before the Ten Commandments was given. And so God's heart never changed. His moral law never changed. And the essence of the law is still the same. And so why does Jesus use the word new? We have to look at the state of Israel when Jesus was teaching from the Old Testament scriptures. And so the teachers of the law, the scribes, the religious leaders, when they heard the teaching of Jesus, it was as if they heard the law for the first time. They were so ignorant. And Jesus rebuked them for it because they were so ignorant of his law. And Calvin writes on the state of Israel this way. 
Jews, though they professed to believe the law, were profane and degenerate. The condition of the people was so decayed, everything was filled with so many corruptions, and the negligence or malice of the priests has so completely extinguished the pure light of doctrine that there no longer remained any reverence for the law. So the scribes, the teachers of the law, completely blinded themselves from the heart of God. Their heart was filled anything else but the heart of God. And so Matthew Henry, uh, in his commentary, he writes that because of such a corrupted state of Israel, when they heard the teaching of Jesus, it was as if they were listening to law for the first time. So if God's heart never changed, why does he use the word new? And he doesn't say, well, here's a reminder. He doesn't say to his disciples, here's a reminder, or he doesn't reference back to uh, when he was disputing with the scribes. Remember when I pointed to the greatest commandment. He doesn't say that. He says, a new commandment I give to you. And this is the reason why a new commandment is a new commandment. Because the Old Testament, what the law taught and instructed the people, what the prophets prophesied, it all points to this Messiah who is now dwelling in flesh incarnate with the disciples to show the perfect and good example what it means to love. The Old Testament people, they didn't have Jesus incarnate dwelling among them to show and instruct them in person what it means to love. But here, the disciples are experiencing Jesus, witnessing with their own eyes the very Jesus Messiah incarnate for three years. And so what does it mean when he says, even as I have loved you? Because that's where Jesus gives us the answer. That's where the new commandment comes from. And so when we read John 13, the whole passage, we see in one obvious example, which is uh, Jesus washing the feet of this, his disciples. And he says, you also ought to wash one another's feet. In the same night, he institutes the communion and he tenderly calls them children. Now, this is one small example that we see in this one chapter, but the disciples were able to observe and learn from Jesus for all three years. And he was, Jesus was being a tender father for all those three years. He shed tears for others. He instructed, counseled, comforted. He prayed, and he protected his disciples when they were accused. And he also rebuked and corrected them. He loved them as a tender father. And so here's a question for you. Are you being a tender father figures in faith for those who are younger in faith? Jesus, who knew no sin, he lowered himself in the form of a humble servant and washed the dirty and sweaty feet of his disciples. He who knew no sin. And so us, as sinners, we have to ask ourselves, if Jesus is able to do, that, to do that for his disciples, are we able to? And Or is it, do we set an expectation because Jesus, the servant leader because he did that now our expectation is 
Well, of course, the leaders of the church, the elders and pastors, they have to serve us, the congregation. Or do we set an expectation, those sitting next to us, for them to serve me first? And so we can't wait around until someone comes to us and to serve us first. Or those who are children here, or those who are young in faith, we can't use the excuse of being a child not to serve others. We all have to grow in faith and learn to be father figure for father and mother figure for others. And just to bring another example, Jesus mourned for others, for his people. And so are we able to mourn when our fellow brothers and sisters are mourning? A better question yet, when our fellow brothers and sisters is rejoicing and celebrating, are we able to celebrate and rejoice with our fellow brother and sister? Or are we going to respond like the brothers of Joseph and stay in bitterness and envy because of their success? Therefore, accept one another, another just as Christ also accepted us to glory of God. And so, like I said, Jesus, who knew no sin, accepted us sinners. And so we can't allow ourselves to be pickier than Jesus. We are sinners. We can't be pickier than Jesus to loving fellow brothers and sisters. And this is how Christ perfectly demonstrated his love that we ought to follow. And another big important aspect is the admonishment which is a love that distinguishes us, our Christian love, from the world's love. And we have mothers um, in the modern culture who refuse to say no to their children because that's apparently unhealthy for the children to hear. That's not really just the mothers, it's also the fathers as well. And those parents, their expectation is to passively and positively convince and talk their children out of their sin as if they're going to take hint and understand what the parents are doing. And that's not love. A church that is unable to be admonished by fellow brothers and sisters and by fellow elders and pastors is not a church, but it's a community that does whatever it wants. And it's just perfectly how the book of Judges describes the people of Israel. It says, what was right in his own eyes? They did whatever they want and drank judgment upon themselves. And so we have to be able to admonish one another. And when we do not do that, it causes us to enjoy and delight in evil. That being said, when I first came to this church, I didn't know anyone. I didn't know this church existed, really. Um, and I heard the sermon of Pastor Tim. And I felt a bit uncomfortable. I was a little bit shifty. Uh, shiftless. <laughs> but, you know, I was wondering, why is it being so direct to the people when he mentions sin? That made me uncomfortable. He can be a little bit more vague, right? And then I talked to Pastor Tim in person, and then I realized, well, he's probably one of the most genuinely loving person I've ever met. 
Okay, that kind of confused me. All right, I'm going to visit the church and see what they're like. And what I expected is like a bunch of stiff-necked and judgmental people just sitting in the pews. And I visit them and get to know them. And I realized they were probably one of the most loving and hospitable people that I've ever met. And that's actually the main reason why I'm here. And I know that that's also the very same reason why many of you are here. Because you have experienced the admonishment and the tender love that the church gave. And so that being said, no church is a perfect church. And we need to be able to reflect on ourselves and see our shortcomings. And when we do see how we are not able to love our fellow brothers and sisters as Jesus' commandment, it also should bring sorrow to our heart. He says, a new commandment I give to you. Right? He, do, he doesn't say, well, here's a suggestion. He doesn't say, let's contemplate on these words. He says clearly, a new commandment. And so we cannot use the word grace as an excuse not to obey the law. And so as, um, as David meditated and delighted in God's law, we also have to meditate and delight in his law. So that we can't just take it as a mere suggestion by Jesus. And so far, I've described Jesus mourning, rejoicing, admonishing. But the disciples of Jesus are about to experience the climax, the pinnacle of Christ's ultimate act of love, which is laying down the life of the Son of Man. And Jesus speaks the similar words, the commandments, in, in the same uh, Gospel of John, which is in John 15. It says, This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. The Old Testament tells you to love your neighbor as yourself. But here, Jesus is here bringing a fuller meaning of what it means to love. And Matthew Henry uses the words corrected and enlarged, which is laying down his life for his friends. And that he displays it, displays it through the ultimate sacrifice by dying on the cross. And that's how the new commandment is connected. I believe it was Charles Spurgeon who compared the two commandments when it was given, the through Moses at Mount Sinai and through Jesus. And the preface, preface of God giving the commandment to Israelites at Mount Sinai was that he has brought the Israelites out of bondage of slavery and then, as they're at the foot of Mount Sinai, he says, because I brought you out of Egypt, and gives a commandment. And here, the preface of the new commandment is that, Jesus, that God is taking away the bondage of sin through the death of Jesus, who takes away the sin. So this is how deeply connected it is to the new commandment. It's the blood of Jesus that unifies us, and we share our love through the blood of Christ. And so we see this connection of the sign of the covenant, uh, Christ's ultimate act of love, 
and then we have this new commandment that is just closely bonded together. And so we are one body. And whenever we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. We also proclaim our unity in Him. So 1 Corinthians 10 says, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we partake of the one bread. We look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices shares in the altar? And so as we celebrate Monday Thursday, I want you to remember the unity we have in Christ through the new commandment and through the communion. And we cannot allow ourselves, again, to be picky who we want to love, who we not want to love. And you can come up with many reasons why not to like someone out of their personality, uh, behavior, just by the looks. Um, you can come up with many reasons, but those are none of the reasons not to obey God's commandment. And also, we cannot separate what God has brought together. God hates those who divide His church, who bring strife to the church. And that's also the reason why Paul just warns in his many of his letters of the division who are divisive in the church. And he exhorts his churches, those, those churches to be unified in mind and in judgment. And so we have to ask ourselves, when are we becoming, starting to be divisive? When are we being divisive? Is it only when there are number of people, publicly speaking, now we are going to become divisive, now we are going to become schismatic? Is that only when the church is divisive? Before that, we have a few individual or an individual who brings slander and gossip and starts to meet and mislead others. But even before that, those individuals bruise hatred and envy and the bitterness in his heart. And so that's why we have to reflect our heart and uh, whether we are brewing those things ourselves. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 1 John 3.15 A perverse man spreads strife, and a slanderer separates intimate friends. Proverbs 16.28 And so hatred in our heart is a murder, and a slander separates intimate friends. And so when we take the Lord's Supper and proclaim our unity in Him, how can we take with such ease and brew, still brew hatred in our heart? It is important that we are reconciled together. And we have to examine our heart when we come to the Lord's table as well. Um, Jesus teaches from Matthew 5, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. So this is what Jesus taught of the Old Testament altar, which is a shadow and a copy that the letter of Hebrews uses. 
And so shouldn't we come to the Lord's table with a greater fear? Right? What Jesus teaches here is the Old Testament altar, a shadow. And so we should come to the Lord's table with greater fear. Now that being said, we haven't read from Luke 22. But in the same night when Jesus institutes the sign of the new covenant, the new commandment, what are the disciples doing? And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be greatest. Talk about short-term memory. These are the pillars of the church that Jesus has chosen himself. Right? These are the apostles. And right after all this wonderful teachings of Jesus of new covenant and new commandment, here they are fighting and disputing amongst themselves who is the greatest. Right? But when we read this, we also should expect that there will be jealousy, strife, and bitterness in the church. And this also shows how, much, how gracious and merciful God was towards his disciples. And this also shows how merciful and gracious God is towards his church. We will have strife and jealousy and we will have God showing us mercy and grace all the time. But we do have to, we still have to see the weight of the commandment. Okay? Just because they sinned, that's not an excuse. Because we sin and the word grace, we can do whatever we want. So as I wrap up, I want to make one more point, verse 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so that's something definitely that the early church was recognized for. The Roman Empire, they hear what the Christians are doing. They're having fellowship. They're eating the flesh and they're drinking the blood of Jesus Christ. They're calling each other brothers and sisters. They're picking up infants from the wood, abandoned infants. And so, what were they rewarded with? The label of cannibals who enjoyed incest and orgies. Right? That's what, that's what they were labeled with. And the world is not going to go hooray when they see the admonishment call to repentance and call to, call to humility. That's, again, that's the love that separates the Christian from the world that we are able to admonish one another, call to repentance and call to humility. That being said, there are a lot of my friends who became Christians because of um, the love and hospitality they've experienced by Christians. And we, have, we can look in, in, throughout the history and also see the fruit of it. Korea alone in history, well, do, does anyone remember Joel Linton that visited? He's a fifth-generation missionary from Korea. Um, I believe it was William Linton, the first generation. Through him, Hugh Linton, and so on, have built medical centers, universities. Uh, I mean, countless things. I mean, Koreans will know who the Lintons are. They know. I've watched the documentary. 
I didn't know him actually. <laughs> and after meeting him, I, uh, my dad forwarded me a documentary. Um, not being a good Korean, but, but you see the fruit of it in history. Just Korea alone. After the Korean War, the churches were the first ones to step up and to encourage the people after the devastation of the war. But we can't set that as an expectation where the world will see and accept in, in positive light. That's not our expectation, and we are not here. That's not our goal, so that they will receive us. Regardless of what the label that the world puts on us, we are to love our fellow brothers and sisters as Jesus loved his disciples. That's the commandment, not according to what the, the labels they put on us. And so we can't stop loving one another. So this is the new commandment that has been made new by Jesus by weeping for his people, giving instruction, counseling, consolation, prayer, protection, rebuke, and ultimately dying on the cross for us, for our sins. That commandment is given to his church. And praise God that he has given such perfect example here on earth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have sent your Son here on earth who knew no sin but accepted us and loved us perfectly. Everything that we need to know is contained in the Scriptures. It contains in the life of Jesus, showing us how he has loved his disciples. You showed us the perfect love through the death of your Son. May we love one another as Jesus loved his disciples and give us wisdom and strength because we cannot love on our own will and strength. It is by your power and grace that we are able to love one another. We thank you and let our life be glorif uh, glorify you. In the, name of in the precious and mighty name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.